going on, folks? Welcome back to another episode of the Unfounded Podcast. My name is Chris Turner, and I am your host. I hope you're doing well today. It is a Tuesday morning for me. I believe it's Tuesday. Let's double check that. Yeah, Tuesday morning. <laughs> uh, so good morning. Hope you're doing well, like I said. Um, hope you're staying safe. Uh, and uh, just kind of checking in, seeing how everybody's doing. Hope you enjoying uh, you are enjoying the episodes thus far. We're getting a lot of listeners tuning in right now to them, so uh, thank you for that. Thank you for listening to the episodes and sharing with your friends and subscribing, all that. Uh, it's much appreciated. It's really nice to see people appreciating uh, the time and effort I'm putting into this. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see it, you know, helping or at least entertaining other people. So um, thank you for your support. I appreciate it. And... Uh, kind of just rolling into it today I'm, i've been doing some kind of losing my mind a little bit boredom wise like i like i i got through cleaning you know my cleaning uh routine pretty early on like the first two weeks i ran out of things to do with that and organizing and little projects and stuff and now i'm kind of <laughs> you know just nothing else to do besides focus on stuff like this like the podcast which is actually really nice uh you know to to have eliminated all the other like checklist things that you you always put off just you know for the time when you have more time you know and it's nice to have that stuff done you know I don't know if any of you got some of that stuff done but I excuse me I did things like organize my garage and um you know I had to I had to organize my my tool uh box I had I gotten a, a toolbox from my it's handed down from my grandpa to my grand uh, to from my great-grandfather to my grandfather it's a mixture of his tools my great-grandfather's tools and they were kind of all jumbled together after my grandfather passed away and he I ended up getting a lot of those tools but I never organized them and it was again this is one of those items those list items that I was like hey you know what I'd really like to get that done sometime uh and there was no time like the present a couple weeks ago so I got that knocked out got the garage organized the hard thing was is like I'm I have about two much two months more left on this lease a little less than that actually now and so I'm gonna be moving here pretty soon I'm pretty sure I'm not staying in this apartment and so it was it was hard I was fighting myself back and forth trying to get the motivation to put in work to organize things when I'm going to be tearing it down in like a month and a half anyway but the way I found the motivation was actually like hey it'll be more organized when you go to move how about that you know what I mean <laughs> silver lining right um but I got all that stuff done and um ended up kind of getting busting out some of the like my guitar and my saxophone things I had had packed away that I hadn't been able to play for a long time got that hung on the wall got my saxophone out got my keyboard plugged in like it you know a lot of like I said just all these things that I had around but I never did because they required that extra setup that extra five minutes that extra 10 minutes and since I had didn't have it set up I never used them but it's nice to have everything and it's in its place you know what I mean and, and settled in I maybe that's my fault maybe I didn't get settled in properly when I moved <laughs> about a year ago now actually right so <clears throat> one of the part one of the problems with being in an apartment you're always kind of playing that game where you're you're either moving or getting set up or tearing down you know so I do eventually that's one of my long-term goals or actually short to near-term goals is, is trying to get into a more stable living position you know what I mean and finding a hopefully a house of my own or an apartment or condo that I can you know condo I can purchase something like that but uh last night I actually went this is kind of an interesting story I went over to my buddy's house and he he's got his own house uh near downtown Denver and uh, he, it's been nice because he bought literally, it, it was perfect timing. It was like a month and a half ago, probably. Yeah, but it was right before the coronavirus thing really hit, the lockdown hit. Uh, he, he called me up and he's like, hey man, like, you know, I think I'm going to buy a sauna. And I'm like, a sauna? Because in my mind, I'm thinking like, that's, that's big, dude. Like, what are you going to like, <laughs> what are you going to like tear down the walls or like build it inside your house? And he's like, no, you can buy them on Amazon. And no shit you can't you can go look at them right now you can buy you can buy you know dry saunas for like around 1100 bucks or so which is i think how much his cost uh and yeah he, he ended up buying it and um literally like the next week uh he the, all the all the you know shelter in place things hit or you know stay home stay home things hit and so um uh, i'm a big big fan and and uh of 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 sauna you know just heat heat treatment and that kind of stuff and uh, I usually go to Lifetime Fitness, that's my gym, but obviously those got shut down and uh, right after, you know, he, he installed it, I was like, hey dude, can I come use your sauna? <laughs> uh, and so been do going over there quite a bit. He also has like a bench press and stuff like, like basic, you know, weightlifting things, which has been nice because I've been able to keep a little bit of, you know, the tension on the muscles so I don't lose too much in these, these couple months. Um, you know, that's been my goal. I don't know about you guys, if you're, if you do go into the gym or you, you do any form of bodybuilding or, you know, whatever, weightlifting, whatever it is. Like if you're 
you know, some people are kind of taking it as, hey, let's switch up the workout and let's see how we can push our bodies. And I've been of the opposite mind because I was pushing pretty hard coming up to this. Like I had gotten to a point where I had been working out really religiously and pretty intensely for about six months gotten real lean you know put on a lot of muscle but i was also getting to a point and many of you probably could understand this like if you work out a lot where your your body does break down slowly where you need these rest cycles and if you don't do proper rest you know if you if, which i wasn't doing for a while your body will get you'll get worn down and i think just in general if you work out intensely where you're challenging yourself every day you're gonna break down your body slowly over time and you're gonna have to have a rest cycle like a longer term rest cycle like a couple weeks at least uh, every once in a while, I think this is just my my own theory, but it's what helps me. And I was getting to that point. It's actually kind of good timing in, in a weird way uh, when all this hit, because I was getting to that point where, you know, I was seeing diminishing returns. You know, you hit that plateau a little bit, uh, and I was I was kind of ready for a change up. But instead of like using this time as a time to ch- like push and try to gain, I'm using it as a time to recover. You know what I mean? And and like I said, you know, I still go in and, and do maybe two or three workouts a week, you know, just to kind of get some tension on the muscles, but uh, nothing crazy. And then I'll use mostly the sauna. I don't know if any of you, I'm sure, <laughs> this was stupid. I, I was about to say, I don't know if any of you listen to Joe Rogan. Of course, probably a lot of you listen to Joe Rogan. I, I, what, that guy's got like a billion followers, I think, at this point or something like that. Coming close to it. It's kind of ridiculous, honestly, but... Now, he's been talking about this in the last couple episodes about um, they've been looking into coronavirus treatments, and this isn't necessarily a treatment. You know, obviously, I'm not a doctor. He's not a doctor. Take this with a grain of salt. But uh, there's been some research into, uh, I think it's the, what he refers to it as heat shock protein generation, uh, and it's affecting. You know what? Actually, let me look this up. Heat shock proteins. I'm curious about this because I've been, he's been talking about them, and I don't know if heat shock proteins are something that's bad or good. Like if you want more heat shock proteins or if you want less heat shock proteins. Um, Let's see. Wikipedia. What's a heat shock? A heat shock protein, HSP, are a family of proteins that are produced by cells in response to exposure to stressful conditions. They were first described in relation. Sorry, guys. Every every time, right? Um, They were first described in relation to heat shock, but are now known to also be expressed during other stresses, including exposure to cold, UV light, and during wound wound healing or tissue remodeling, many members of this group perform chaperone functions by stabilizing new proteins to ensure correct folding or by helping to refold proteins that were damaged by cell stress. This increase in expression is transcriptionally regulated, whatever that means, right? The dramatic upregulation of the heat shock proteins is a key part of the key heat shock response and is induced primarily by heat shock factor. HSPs are found in virtually all living organisms from bacteria to humans. Okay. Now let's see what heat shock factor is. Oh no. Go back. Sorry, guys. What's heat shock factor? In molecular biology, heat shock factor factors are the transcription factors that regulate the expression of the heat shock protein. Typical example is the heat shock factor of... Okay, so that helped... Not at all, right? Anyway, um, so I'll put, like I said, I'll put up what I'm looking at right here uh, on the show notes so you can look up yourself if you missed any of that. But basically, heat shock proteins, uh, it is a beneficial protein uh, that that works with your body to kind of reduce or repair the body after stressful situations. Not only shock or heat, it looks like, but also any kind of like really stressful kind of uh, situation so if you overexert your body or something like that uh, and your your protein or your, your cells are damaged in any way this heat these heat shock proteins help repair it that's what it sounds like at least that's what i gathered from it um the the reason i bring it up is uh joe's been talking a lot about heat uh, hot and cold therapy it's something that i was into and i actually talked about i think uh, a little bit in an episode prior probably a couple months ago um i'm not sure which one it was but I, i'm pretty sure i talked about this a little bit but <clears throat> um heat the hot and cold therapy, I've been, I started to do it right before this all happened, and there's something to it. Uh, it's not only, obviously, is there probably like an underlying, you know, something going on underlying, like biologically, but um, you can feel this process. You can feel the effect of the, the hot and cold therapy on your body almost instantly, uh, and not only in your body, but it's a you have it's a mood alter. Like it, you, you, I would describe it as close. It's close to a drug effect. Uh, after you do a certain regimen of this heat, hot and cold therapy, you you feel almost high. It's a weird, it's a weird feeling, but you feel really, 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 really good. All right. Um, <clears throat> the reason I bring it up is I did it last night. Okay, so um, 
But Joe's been bringing it up and talking about it, uh, saying that that it, this heat, these heat shock proteins have been maybe uh, shown to be helpful. Like I said, uh, like it's helpful not only to, when you're going through hot and cold, you know, environments, but it could be helpful in other stressful situations, like when your body is trying to fight off a virus. Uh, is this is the the idea at least? And so Joe's been doing a lot of hot cold therapy, and so uh, my buddy, right? <laughs> not only did he buy a um, sauna which we've been using regularly, but he also decided to buy this like really dope Coleman inflatable hot tub. I don't know if you've ever seen these. It's about 350 bucks or so, like 320 bucks on Amazon. It'll fit about three people or so. And it's all like self-contained and it has its own little heater element and everything. And it has like even bubbles and everything like that. Uh, But 350 bucks, he bought one of those. And then he also bought this little like, like individual tub, like inflatable tub that we could use for like an ice bath. And so last night I went over there and we had finally got the <laughs> the hot tub up to temperature and we got the the ice bath right next to it. And yesterday was a cold day. It was snowing yesterday, so out back in his it was probably a good 24, 25 degrees outside, right? So it was it was we were doing it right. <laughs> uh, and so anyway, we did it, right? We did this this hot cold therapy, and I had been in ice baths before, right? But never. I was trying to remember back because it was back in high school when I did them, and it was when I injured my knee. Um, they had me do some some ice baths to kind of help it help with recovery. Uh, but I don't think I ever submerged all the way up to my neck <clears throat> when I did that. Or shoulders, I mean. Um, I only submerged up to like my lower back or my belly button basically when I did that. And that's still pretty painful for any of you that have been in ice baths before. Um, the initial hit when you get in that water hurts. It's not fun. It's not, it's a different, it's the kind of stinging cold that I'm sure some of you are familiar with in, in some of the Northern States, right? It's that kind of stinging cold. But, um, anyway, uh, we did it right. Like I said, we filled up the, the, the little tub thing. And uh, added ice in there, and we didn't we didn't need the ice stayed like in there for quite a while actually because it was so cold outside. But then uh, the usual idea is you want to do about it's about twenty five percent of the time you want to be in the cold, twenty five to thirty percent of the time you want to be in the cold. So let's say you're doing uh, let's say you're doing ten minutes in the hot water, you want to jump in the cold for about two and a half to three minutes around there. Okay. Um, that's usually the, the idea. And for some reason, there's a ratio that is supposed to be the most beneficial from what I've read. Um, it's something around there, about 25% of the time being in cold relative to the hot water. Anyway, um, like I said, I'm not a doctor, but I'm sure you can do whatever you want with this. You just want to be careful you're not in the cold water too hot or the hot water too hot. hot long for, or the cold water too long or the hot water too long for that matter, right? But anyway, so you get this thing all set up and uh, <laughs> we go and... It starts getting close to the time, right? Like, you know, we're doing 10 minutes, or no, we're doing, yeah, 10 minutes, you know, I have a timer going, we're doing 10 minutes in the hot tub. And now, honestly, the hot tub wasn't too hot. So that part wasn't that challenging because the hot tub was only about 100 degrees. It needed to get a, probably five or six degrees hotter to start getting a little more challenging. But um, anyway, we were in there for 10 minutes and then it comes time to go jump in the water. And my buddy volunteers to go first. I'm like, okay. And like I said, it's been a long time since I do it. So I'm kind of a little nervous. I'm getting a little nervous and like watching his reaction and he gets in the water, just dunks all the way down. And I'm like, how you doing? And he's like, he doesn't say anything. He just kind of like, looks like he's meditating. And I'm like, all right, it doesn't look that bad. I'm like, okay, this is going to be pretty good. This is going to be fun. And, and so, uh, he's going and I'm like, how you doing, dude? You know, about halfway through and he's like, I'm, I'm it's not too bad. You know, it, it sucks at first, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting kind of used to it. I'm like, okay. And uh, so then finally his time his time is up and he gets out and I go to get in the water, dude, and I put my foot in there and it's that it's just like, like, like it's cold as hell, man. Like, and, and my, my whole body just tightens up. Right. And I'm like, I look at him. I'm like, oh, dude, you were freaking sandbagging. And he just kind of smiles. And so then I, I dunked myself all the way under. And it's one of those feelings like if you ever watch Titanic when they're at the back of the ship. And he's describing how it feels to fall in really cold water. Like that's spot on. I feel like like it's it, when you fall in cold water or you get in really really cold water like that, like icy water, your body like freezes. Like it, it like sh- the shock of it like s- like stops your respiratory system for a second, and it's really hard to breathe. It's almost like you get the wind knocked out of you. It's like and you like try to like breathe, but you really can't. Which is partially why I'm sitting here looking at this guy. Like, how did you hide this man? Because I'm sitting there and, Im- and immediately I'm like. like trying to get my breath to catch up. You know what I mean? And he's just sitting there kind of smiling and all comfy. And then he's like, man, this water feels good. And he starts to taunt me. I'm like, Oh dude, that's not fair. I did not do that to you. Right. Anyway. 
So uh, about two and a half minutes, three and a half minutes, it's a long time in that cold water, right? And while you're in that water, it's interesting to watch. The reason I bring it up, right? This has been a long story uh, starting off the podcast, but the reason I bring it up is because it's, it was a really interesting kind of experiment into uh, the, the psyche itself, like kind of watching my own my own mind and seeing how I react, right? how I anticipate pain and how I react to it, how I dealt with it in the moment, right? Um, it's obviously a very kind of controlled scenario uh, and you know the kind of pain you're about to deal with but at the same time it's something you still don't want to do and so I think it's, a, it's an important exercise kind of to, to do with yourself is to put yourself into scenarios where you don't want to be often because um, this is I, and, and, and I think it's part of the problem with our modern world is, is, is it, it allows us to believe that comfort is something that we can have like we have an unlimited supply of, and I, I don't think that's true. I think that's something that might be changing here fairly soon. And, <laughs> and I think it's important to know exactly how you react to hardship. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to put yourself into kind of ridiculous scenarios like this, where you have to test yourself with whether it's pain or just anything you don't want to do. Right. But I think the be- this is a really good one working out, running, um, physical exertion where it's physically challenging and also there's a mental aspect to it like that I think that's why those are the best like that it is because it does it brings in the mental aspect you have to push yourself mentally but you also have to bear the pain right and anticipate the pain and deal with it in the moment and all of those things wrapped up together is kind of um, I think how you you grow uh, as a person in some weird way you know and and, and so um, but anyway I, I, I'm in the water right and I remember <laughs> The first like five, 10 seconds, you're just like kind of, you go into this little bit of a shock kind of response where you, you're not really thinking very much. You're just like, fuck, 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 get me out of here, right? Excuse, excuse my French. Uh, get me out of here, get me out of here. But that's literally what you're saying. And then you start, for some reason, the first place my mind went <laughs> was to that movie, Titanic. First, first thing I remember my, my mind went to was, oh my God, could you imagine being one of those people falling into the ocean like that? That's what I was, Isn't that goofy? But that's what I started to think about. Oh my God, what if I couldn't get out of here at any moment? You know what I mean? What if this was permanent? Oh. And you start to like, that's when your mind starts to panic, is when you when you start to play with the idea of not being able to get out of this. Or being placed here without any control over it. It's a lack of control, I guess, maybe. And, but that was weird. Like I said, it went right to that Titanic. I remember, like, like I said, it, him saying that, like, you know, describing what it feels like to fall in cold water, and then imagining like being one of those people on the ship jumping off the side, kind of falling into that icy cold water, and and feeling this for real though, nothing to hold on to, and nothing to hold your, you know, <laughs> prop you up, and only what a mile and a half of ocean under you. Like that, that's what I went to. And <clears throat> and then the next thing I went to was, you know, I'm, I'm ex-military, right? I was, I was um, security forces, which is essentially a, a, a military police for the Air Force. Um, but I also serve, uh, it's a, it's primary function is police function, but it also has a very, it's, it's a dual primary function of security and police uh, and, and law enforcement, right? So we would operate as both police officers, but also as kind of like the first responders in the event there was any kind of attack or anything like that, right? So <clears throat> it was a combat role, but not a direct combat role, if you get what I'm saying. And I was never in combat and I was never deployed, right? So I was never tested in a sense, right? I was never tested in a combat scenario. I don't want to make that very clear because I don't want to confuse myself or you guys confuse me with somebody that has. You know, that's a very different individual that's been through something like that, right? <clears throat> They've seen something that I definitely have not seen. But I have been through the, um, I have been through the military itself. I understand the system. I know the training, kind of what's behind it, uh, at least a lot of the training. And I've been through some of them, some of the more difficult training. Not even close, though, to what something like a SEAL would go through or something, you know, any of these special, Delta Force, any of these special forces guys, right? But specifically, I thought about the SEALs. And the reason I bring it up is because the next place my head went when I was in that water was to that. If any of you have ever watched the BUDS training videos, one of the things they do 
uh, in those in, in the training is they use this kind of hot cold um, exposure to break people down. And if you do this, if you test this with yourself, you know if you've ever done gone sat in an ice bath, uh, or if you've ever gone you know like put, uh, gone gotten yourself super sandy, like go go get wet and then roll around in the sand. You know what I mean? And see how good you feel after about five minutes walking around, that kind of stuff. Um, that's the kind of stuff these guys go through in buzz training. You know what I mean? Um, but they, they're purposely, you know, they'll spray them with cold water. They'll keep them in the cold ocean, you know, for hours and hours and hours on a, at a time. And that's where my brain went next because there is a certain, there's a certain aspect inside, I feel like my mind where you, 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 you confuse, it's almost like you start to confuse yourself with those individuals. They're, they're a different level. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, like there's a, there's a, and you see this within the military. I'm sure a lot of mil- veterans that are listening to this, if you're listening to this can, can kind of understand what I'm talking about. But when you're in the military and you, there's certain, there's like, there's all of us in the military and basic. And then there's like, then there's like the people that are going to be or going into or are doing special forces roles. Right. And it's a different level. It requires a different level of dedication, level of dedication, discipline, all of that. Right. Um, but one of the memories I have of my basic training is like, you know, we're, we're sitting here and we're or not basic. I was in my, my, what we called tech school, which is kind of our training, specialization training kind of, you know what I mean? Like our apprenticeship essentially. And we're in our dining hall and we're sitting here eating at this point, you know, it's not that strict, you know, you can kind of eat and you don't have, you're not really, you have a reasonable amount of time to eat and you can talk to people and that kind of stuff, stuff you can't do in basic. Right. Um, but you know, we've been doing this for a couple months and all of a sudden and not, not walk like kind of slow jog, quick pace walk with rucksacks, you know, and the little, you know, PT shorts, uh, some PJs and, and PJ, uh, PJ training. And I remember like sitting there at the table with all my buddies and we stopped and kind of just looked at them and those guys, you know, they were still in basic and for every, in, in kind of a worse form of basic, they were still, you know, they had to sit there with their trays on the, on the, on the, on the table, the countertop, and they had to slide it, you know, next to each other, like with, you know, their, their feet, you know, at a certain distance apart, all that kind of stuff they were still doing. And we, we hadn't done that for months and we're sitting here just eating, shooting the shit. And there was something about that moment that made it click for me. Like, Oh, that's a different thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like a Joe, Joe Rogan talks about this a lot. He says, there's levels to this. That was the moment where I would realize, Oh, there's levels to this. And that's a different level. <laughs> you know what I mean? again, re- rewinding a little bit, I got a little bit, you know, in, on a tangent there, but the reason I bring it up is because that's the next place in my mind when I was in this water is it reminded me of that. It's like, Oh, there's levels to this. And Oh, there's certain individuals in this world that they thrive in these kind of conditions. And you don't know if you are one of those people until you put yourself in that, that spot. Am I one of those people? I don't know. Because to be quite honest about a minute in, in that water, I was everything, every ounce of me in, inside of me was getting, was screaming, get out of that water. And I was also thinking in that mind space, thinking about, oh my God, what if I was, had to be in here for eight hours, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or six hours. It wouldn't be in like, you know, that kind of ice water. You'd probably, you'd die of hypothermia, obviously, but you know, that kind of pain, that kind of cold shock. What if you're doing that for eight hours at a time, nine hours, 10 hours, you were sandy, you were wet. You know what I mean? What if you were doing that in a war zone? What if you're one of these guys, you know, storming the beaches of Normandy, jumping into ice cold water, you know, <laughs> running onto the, the, the beaches. I don't know if the water was cold actually when they stormed Normandy. When was it? When did they storm? Is it December? Normandy. When, when did they storm Normandy? Let's see. So it's June, but I feel like that water is never warm, right? That, that Atlantic water on the French coast is never all that warm, I don't think. Anyway, you get the point though, right? It brought me to that space where you start to appreciate the sacrifices. That, and, the, and not only the sacrifices, it was more of like, you do appreciate the sacrifices that these people have given, but it, it was more of like, a, like a, a respect for the amount of suffering that people have gone through that have come before you that wasn't by choice. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Um... Maybe some, you know, like I said, a lot of, you're going to the special forces. You chose that for sure. But, you know what I mean? The things that people do in those roles, 
things that are you know when you're in those high stakes games and and you're called you know to lay everything on the line um we often think of it in this glamorous light but the things that come with those roles is this kind of suffering and that's the part that i think we miss you know what i mean it's the sacrifice part (laughs) you know this is a trend that i see continuously popping up in our society is we have for some reason deleted the 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 necessity for sacrifice uh in the modern world we want every we want our cake we want we want our cake and we want to eat it too you know what i mean we, have, we want to have all of the benefits that come from sacrifice without having to give anything up, without having to suffer. And <clears throat> I think that's a problem. I think it's something that's going to really be a bigger problem if we do have an economic decline like I think might be coming, right? And this, I think this is, you know, I don't plan these like I've said a thousand times at this point, but I think that's probably why I'm bringing it up. Is I think like like it's really important to like challenge yourself, get yourself a little uncomfortable, and see how you react, because you don't want to figure out how you react in a real life or death scenario or a time when you're like the 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 way you react can affect the rest of your life permanently. If you get what I'm saying, you know what I mean. You don't want to panic. But so, like I said, that was that was what was going through my mind till about about a minute and a half in, and then I started to shake like freaking crazy, right? <clears throat> I started to just like shake, 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 shake. And the weird the weird thing is though is you do reach this point where you know you're getting close to time. You know you're about done. You can get out, and so you're just waiting for the you know that timer to go off, and you're just kind of zoning out. And there's the time. There's another thing that happens in this moment. A lot of the things we've been talking about, I think, you can witness or is exemplified when you're suffering. And and this is a good example. Like time elongates. <clears throat> like two and a half minutes feels like five or six or seven. It's a really easy way to demonstrate to yourself that time is a very malleable thing. That it's not as fixed as you'd like to think. You know what I mean? But. Um, time starts to kind of elongate. And it'll shrink back down, but it only shrinks back down once that timer goes off. As soon as it does. All of that stuff I was just talking about, the worry, all that kind of stuff, gone. Even being cold. I was still cold, but for some reason, as soon as the timer went off, I was like, oh, that wasn't that bad. (laughs) Because I knew I could get out at any moment. I could stand up and I would be completely comfortable back in that warm water. And so what did I do? And actually, this is interesting because my friend did the same thing without, you know, without, you know, before I had done this, you know, after the timer went off, he just stayed in there for another like 30 or 45 seconds. He's like, I'm just going to stay. Like, okay. You know, and, and, you know, you're, you're cold as hell. Don't get me wrong. You're still very, very uncomfortable. But for some reason, because you know you're in control and you know it's, it's a mixture of you know you're in control, you know you can leave that, that pain at any point in time, and you know that you've conquered something, you now want to see how far you can push that. You automatically start to want to push that a little bit. Okay. Hell yeah, I did that. Well, this isn't that bad anymore. All of it, it's, it's like it, this, this really, in a really weird way, this... Hot cold therapy, like it, it's a really good way to show you a lot of the things I've been talking about. I think it's a good way to demonstrate perspective. You're not even in a different spot. I was talking about in the perspective episode that perspective relies on on a point in time and space, and how you change a perspective. One way to change this perspective is to move the point in space. You know what I mean? You automatically change the perspective. Well. This is a, in a weird way. This actually, this actually demonstrates how time and space are kind of tied together as well. Because I didn't move my position in space, right? I was still in the water, the cold water. But what did t- change? The time. I had gotten past a certain marker in time, and as soon as I did my perception of that thing changed my perspective changed and all of a sudden I felt stronger 
And I felt, I felt, I felt empowered and I felt like I could control this and I could stay in there as long as I wanted to. Not as long as I wanted to, because it was still really uncomfortable, but I could, I could control it. And so you did. I think I stayed in there probably another 30 seconds or so, maybe. But then you jump out and you jump into that warm water and it's like every single worry you've ever had melts away. All of the stress, all the tension, all of the kinks in your neck and, and aches and pains and whatever it is, like just boom. All of the physical pain goes away, melts away. Also with like kind of the more emotional and intellectual pain, that all melts away with it, I think. And I think that's probably why. Is because in a weird way, like when you work out your brain like that through a challenging scenario where you're in, you're suffering, in some ways you heal something. It's like stretching in a way. It's like stretching your muscles. It's like stretching the brain muscle. And when you do that, you stress it stretches it out, and and it's able to kind of release tension, for lack of a better way of describing what I'm saying. I hope you under, you're tracking on what I'm saying. You can kind of release that tension, and. And you feel it as like a total body experience, man. Like you feel the whole, your whole body, you know. And so you're in the water again, right? You're in the warm water. And as soon as you get back in that warm water, you're like, oh, man, that was great. I feel great. This is awesome. That wasn't that bad. I can go back in that water. <laughs> you know what I mean? Big tough guy all of a sudden, you know. It's remarkable. How a change in perspective can change your outlook, change the way you act, talk, you know, everything, the way you carry yourself. Like I said, really easy way to demonstrate that to you is to do one of these kind of experiments with yourself and somebody else. But <clears throat> so you do, you get back in the water and you're comfy again. Like I said, you're you're, you're experiencing this release of tension, this release of, of stress. But as the timer goes down, you start to get closer to getting back in that water again. And slowly it fades. I think what this is demonstrating is that there's nothing that is fixed in the universe. There's nothing that's finite or fixed about this life. You can't hold on to comfort and happiness, no matter how bad you want to. I I think it relates to entropy itself. Let's go ahead and define that one more time because we have before, but I want to make sure I'm using the proper definitions. The thermodynamic thermodynamic quantity representing the unavailability of a system's thermal energy for conversion into mechanical work often interpreted as the degree of disorder or randomness in the system that's probably that's a more like technical definition this one is probably more applicable to what we're talking about it's a lack of order or predictability it's a gradual decline into disorder the gradual decline into disorder is the way i'm using it to reference i'm referencing it Right, gradual decline into disorder. Nothing's fixed, essentially, is what that's saying, right? Lack of predictability. So you may want happiness, right? And you want happiness forever. It's actually a law of it's a law fundamental law of nature that you can't have that. Nothing is fixed. You can't be happy all the time. You can't be comfortable all the time. It's a law of nature. <laughs> I think it's the law of entropy in action. It's just it, it's a it's a weird way and it's a freaky way in which which it works that we don't often associate with this law, right? But you can experience it, like I said. I'm doing some of these cotton cold therapies. If you have access to one of these you know, hot tub or whatever, you know, you can do it in the you can do it in like a bathtub if you want to. Uh, you know, you can just do really really hot water. And, and, and stay in there as long as you can possibly bear. You know, not, not, not like hot enough where you're scalding yourself, but hot enough to where it raises your heart rate. You want to submerge all the way on, up to your neck, raises your heart rate, and then you go right into the cold water. Stand up, turn on the shower to the coldest setting, and stand under that water as long as you can for about, not as long as you can, like I said, about 25% of the time. Rinse and repeat. You know what I mean? But you can't, you can't hold on to that comfort. You can't hold on to happiness all the good things we want to hold on to we want to make fixed we can't it's a law of nature i do think politically speaking this is one of the fundamental flaws in the modern liberal philosophy the modern liberal political outlook it doesn't take into account this law of nature 
that you may want to see a perfect world. You may want to see a world where everybody's comfortable, right? Where nobody gets offended, for instance, you know, nobody has to ever feel uncomfortable. Uh, you may want to bring, create a world like that, but it literally is not possible. We've tested that before. That's You can see the examples of what happens when you try to implement something like that in the communist examples throughout the 20th century's history, you know. Look at China and Mao. Look at Soviet Union and Russia. Look at Cuba. Look at, I mean, there's countless examples. You know what I mean? A lot of people would argue against that and say, hey, you know, that's not fair. They didn't, they didn't implement Marxist, you know, communist ideals properly. They didn't implement the communist revolution in the proper way. That's usually, that's usually, or there, there was bad actors, you know, all we need to do is eliminate the bad actors. Well, here's the problem. You can't, that's the other, you know, you can't, there's always bad actors. It's one of the things that our founding fathers, United States founding fathers understood. That's why they put so many checks and balances in place. It was to keep one person from having too much power because they knew that there's going to be a lot of bad actors in that process. And hopefully there's more good actors than bad actors. So if you keep a bunch of checks and balances in place, you can keep that one person under control because they don't have enough power to really do anything by themselves. Makes sense. You know what I mean? Like that's that's the whole idea. How did I get on that? <laughs> you know what I mean? But you get what I'm saying. I didn't mean to take it too politically there, but that is one of my that is my criticism of the current, I think, liberal philosophy outlook on the world. It's it's it, it, it. I think it's looking for perfection, in a really dangerous way, in a very similar way to the systems I just pointed out before. Not that you're going to see the exact same thing happen. You know, I'm not saying that we're going to turn into you know communist China under Mao. But what I am saying is you can have some of the same effects. You know, people, the dynamics between people can be are the same. Uh, you, 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 there are bad actors, like I was saying. And you, you have to make sure that you control those people or otherwise they're going to get into these uh, these positions within the state and they're going to control things and they're going to they're going to implement tyr- be, they will they will use the, that power tyrannically. You have to assume that and then create your system based on the assumption that those people are going to exist. You can't create a, a system based on the opposite assumption that you're going to make people better or that, that people are inherently good and they just want everybody to be happy and good and that everybody's idea of what happy and good is the same and so that you can all you can implement that at a state level you can't it doesn't that doesn't that doesn't exist there is no panacea of thought the democrat the, the, the environment of the united states and the world itself has a panacea has a plethora of different perspectives like i described in the other perspective in the other podcast and there is absolutely zero way that you can implement one vision universally to get and, and get everybody to fall behind it That's why the only logical way to go about it is to have everybody vote on it. Because then at least you have a say, and then you f- at least feel like you can participate. You have an equal say, you have some kind of power, and at least it's equal to everybody else, the power that you wield. Right? But it's in a very controlled way. I think one of the misunderstandings we have of democracy is what it means. Democracy doesn't mean the best outcome always. It also doesn't mean speed or brevity. It doesn't mean efficiency. It doesn't mean you get what you want. Actually, quite the opposite a lot of the time. Democracy is, is an understanding that you don't get what you want most of the time. It's an understanding that your voice is what matters and that somehow... Whatever the majority decides on, whatever is represented by the majority is somehow the best possible option at that moment in time. And that relying on that assumption, implementing it, is what produces the best outcome. And I think there's a really good example, the United States of America, of that idea being applied over and over and over again and working extremely well to bring not only the United States, but the world itself out of essentially the Dark Ages. (laughs) We don't want to delete that. 
We need to get more comfortable with suffering so that we stop trying to run away from it and we stop trying to implement this little idea that I've been talking about of a perfect world. You know, there's a lot of things. The coronavirus has flipped everything on its head, right? And there's been so many, like... When you have something like this happen, the first place people look to is the government. Okay, your time to shine. What are you going to do now? That's kind of like the attitude that people have, right? And when it, the reason I'm pausing is I'm trying to figure out if that's the proper response, if that's how we should view the government. This is a fixer. I don't think that's the proper way to view the government. Is a is a is a is a, a mechanism for fixing problems. I don't know if that's the proper way of viewing the government. Reason being, is our conception of the government itself oversimplifies it. The inner workings of the government, especially a government the size of the United States, is you know, is, is there's there's thousands of people that make that up. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. Each individual people with individual perspectives, individual po- political leanings, and individual motivations. The idea that every single person within that system can operate unbiasedly with the same motivation is ludicrous. Right? There's no possible way. There's no way of implementing something. The government isn't... This is one of the conservative points that I really agree with, and I think it's a, it's a hard thing to argue against, is government is not the most efficient way or the best way of solving most, most problems because of this right here. There's, this is the underlying reason, I think. It's too big. <laughs> it's also one of the reasons why I don't think... Uh, um, really large companies I'm not going to name any specific ones but very large companies if you think of the biggest companies in our economy right I think it's part of the reason why you see so many negative news stories coming out of the coming out about them it's because they have their own momentum they're too big in a sense once an organization gets too big there's too many people within that too many varied perspectives and you create a system where unless you are very good at compartmentalizing each individual section, group, and person, you have a really solid structure, hierarchy, and leadership structure where you can kind of direct people a certain vector. Unless you have that in place, what you end up creating is like a system of people pulling against each other. Everybody doing their own little thing, trying to pull in opposite directions. That is exactly what happens like times 10 in in a political sense because people are playing another game on top of that the political game they're trying to win they're being tribal as well right and the idea that you can unbiased yourself when you're working in one of those positions is 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 a lie you cannot it's an, i don't think it's possible to unbiased yourself you can unfilter yourself and be honest about how you think but you can't unbiased you can't it's one of the ridiculous ideas about trying to check your unconscious bias it's completely illogical how do you check something that's unconscious if you're not conscious of something, how do you control it? It's illogical. Stupid. I cannot stand when people say that. Check your unconscious bias. What are you talking about? You, you know what I mean? Like, you can't control those things. That's why they're biases. <laughs> By def, you know what I mean? It's Anyway. So it's like, it, there's this, there's this inability to control the outcome of an organization the size of something like the U.S. federal government. You can say, hey, U.S. federal government, I want you to fix, what, what would it be? I want you to, let's, let's take, you know, the coronavirus. I want you to fix the coronavirus. Cool. What happens when you do that? Everybody inside there tries to, from their own perspective, fix the coronavirus, right? What you end up having is a lot of freaking confusion from every different direction. You know what I mean? Everybody thinking that they're going to be the savior. You know, everybody out there trying to win the game, everybody pulling different directions, 
playing the political game do? It's imp- it's impossible in every single interaction to to like unpack people's motivations, whether they're talking politically or talking for the good of the country or they actually just want to solve the problem. What are they doing? You know what I mean? You know. And so you can't trust anything. And it's partially our fault because we look to the government, the biggest organization, the most complicated structure we have to fix the problem. Right? That I do think this is going to be part of the mistake we made in retrospect. I said a little bit before in the last podcast, you don't start printing money when your economy stops. Find any economist anywhere. I will sit down and talk to them and please have them explain to me how it's a smart idea to print trillions of dollars when the economy is at a standstill. When you have no money generation, no wealth generation. What's that create? Automatically. An inflation problem. <laughs> we And we just did that. Like mad. Boom. And what is it? Six trillion dollars? Six trillion in a week. Six trillion dollars. What was our what was our national debt? Let's see what our national debt. National debt. Debt. 2019. Let's see what it was in 2019. So it says U.S. national debts. Let's see here. Yeah, at the end of 2019, U.S. national debts, U.S. gross national debt is 22.7 trillion dollars. Now, let me put that into perspective um there's inbuilt debt ceilings as well that we've had in place that come into play every so often when we get to a certain you know level of debt it's a like a fiscal check basically where we have to vote on approving a higher budget or or not necessarily a higher budget but taking on more debt right and that's happened one two three four five that's happened five times in the last seven years we have raised the debt ceiling five times in the last seven years. The initial debt ceiling that's on this chart, at least, and I'm getting this from, where is this? Wolf Street? Let me see if this is a reliable. I don't know if this is the most reliable. Let's, let's find a better one. Let's, let's find a, a better graph here. I don't know. U.S. I don't want growth. Sorry guys, hold on one second. I just want to find this number. That I, that's this is a, a this one is used on a couple of different sites. Okay, yeah. So yeah, five different times we've raised the debt ceiling. Now we're at twenty two points what trillion dollars? We just voted. We just spent six trillion dollars in like a matter of a week, right? So that's going to go up to what now twenty eight trillion dollars in national debt. We expanded it by thirty percent like in a week precisely when we uh, don't have like I said a national economy effectively <laughs> you know what I mean you know our, our national economy is at a standstill because how do you how do you you know that's what you're doing you're just printing money so all of you every single every single dollar you had just went down I think effectively if you were to just play this at a simple level, every dollar you have effectively just went down in value by 30%. It's not going to play out that way because that's not how there's too many, the market's too complicated for there to be a direct correlation that way. But you get what I'm saying? Like the, 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 that's effectively what it should look like. I read an article. It's been a couple different places. This one's on Politico. Um, this one says IMF predicts global contract uh, global contraction on par with Great Depression. I'm gonna read the first little excerpt here. The global economy expected to contract by three percent in 2020 as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. 
the International Monetary Fund predicted in its annual World Economic Outlook release Tuesday. This is a quote. It is very likely that this year the global, econo- the global economy will experience its worst recession since the Great Depression, surpassing that seen during the global financial crisis a decade ago. IMF economic counselor Gita Gopinath wrote in the report, the great lockdown, as one might call it, is projected to shrink global growth dramatically. Economic recovery is expected in 2021, but the extent of any new the extent of any new growth will likely depend on the duration of the pandemic and the policies that governments take to stimulate the economy. If the pandemic fades in the second half of this year, the world economy is projected to grow by 5.8% in 2021 with the help of government support. US economic output is, is expected to contract by 5.9% in 2020, but could see 4.7% growth in 2021. Okay, so I'll stop there. Anyway, I will post this article. Like I said, it's by Politico. The uh, author is Adam uh, Basuti. Uh, I want to make sure I let you guys know who wrote that. I don't. That was not my... Uh, my thoughts, right? Um, but I will post the link to this so you can view it yourself as well. Um, but it sounds like, and I, I think this Adam, what Adam is saying is, is, is pretty spot on. It sounds, that seems logical to me. Um, when you have a global economic stoppage like you've had, I don't see how you don't have, and, and, you, and you have unemployment numbers uh, coming out as high as we've seen. I think what's the current unemployment estimation? Unemployment What is it? Would be unemployment for March 2020. Let's see what it was at. 2020 Bureau of Labor and Statistics. Uh, that's too complicated. See, like anytime you go to like one of the government sponsored sites, it's so complicated you can't figure out what the hell the word's at. Um, record numbers applied. This one is the Washington Post. It says a record 3.3 million Americans filed for unemployment benefits as the coronavirus slams the economy. This is uh, this was printed in March or March 26th. This is my birthday. Okay. Um, so what about almost a month ago? It's almost been a month since my what in the world, dude? I'm losing track of time. This is weird. I'm like literally losing time because of this isolation and stuff. I don't know if you guys are experiencing something similar, but I'm like losing the time elongation and shortages that thing is happening right now dramatically uh this is by heather long um yeah 3.3 million americans applied for unemployment benefits last week it says this like i said this is about a month ago uh as uh, restaurants hotels barbershops gyms and more shut down a nationwide effort so at 3.3 million um the nation's unemployment rate was 3.5% in February, a half-century low, so that was really good. But that has likely risen already to 5.5%, and that was in March. Right now, I think, what's the, let's say, estimated coronavirus unemployment. I'll just take the, whoa, this one's on CNBC. This one's, uh, this one says Fed's Bullard says U.S. economy not in free fall, despite 32% unemployment projection. 32%. I'm going to read the key points. St. Louis, uh, Louis Federal Reserve President James Bullard said Sunday he did not believe the U.S. economy or job market was in freefall as the coronavirus sweeps the country. We're asking people to stay home to invest in national health, Bullard said on CBS Face the Nation. The uptake on the unemployment insurance program is a good thing because it means you're getting the re- transfers to the people that are being disrupted by this health order shutdown, Bullard said. So I understand what Bullard is saying. He's making a good, a good point here. He's, he's partially saying, hey, what's happening right now is the uh, stimulus stimulus is, is kicking in and we're getting money to the people that need it. The whole reason we're giving money to the people that need it is because there's second order and third order businesses that need that money, uh, you know, to stay afloat for the next two months. And we can't have those businesses fail because if we have those businesses, businesses fail, that's how we have an economic collapse. Right. So I, I get that <laughs> this was published on April 5th. So yeah, a little over a week ago. Um, but the problem with that is, um, there's a couple problems with that. We're gambling right now. 
We're, we are we are testing out an idea that we haven't tested out ever, I don't think. That is, what happens when you give people a whole chunk load of money? Because most likely it's going to be good. What we need to happen is people to spend it. Preferably, like I said, because of those second and third order businesses that are like downstream from the consumer that need this money to stay afloat. That's what that money's for, I think, uh, directly. But it's 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 it needs to pass through consumers so that the consumer themselves aren't being you know bankrupted. They aren't being put out on the streets. You know, the the society doesn't fall apart. Um, so, you, but we're testing this. Like, we need people to spend it, preferably on their bills so that these businesses stay afloat. But if they don't spend it on the bills, at least if they spend it on any bullshit, it keeps money flowing. Preferably, like I said, spend it in small businesses, you know, businesses, local businesses, so that those don't fall apart. Now, the worst thing that could happen is if people don't, and people for some reason hold on to the money. Like, like for instance, I, I had to employ, uh, apply for unemployment. Right, I had to apply for unemployment in Colorado, and it was because I lost my jobs. Right, like my my jobs, you know, when, when this hit, you know, I lost two jobs that I was working, and they both said, "Hey, you gotta file for unemployment." It's a weird feeling because I don't like doing that. You know, I've I've, I've been in a, a position where I could have filed for unemployment before, but I don't like to use that unless I absolutely have to. But I guess this is one of those times, right? It's warranted, so I file for it. And, you know, you go through the, the, the process and they do, they allot you a certain amount of money. They show you how much money you can, you know, you, you, your, your benefit is, and, you know, you call when you need it kind of a thing. And you just try to look for work at the same time. The problem is, is like, because this all hit so many people at the same time, the work requirement isn't in place. So they've, they've suspended the work requirement. So people don't have to be looking for a job actively to receive their payment. And what I'm worried about is, if you show people, hey, you can have, we're going to pay you $18,000 or $25,000, you know, and there's no work requirement to go back. Are they going to go to back to work before that money's out? I hope they would. I am. I'm not saying that I'm going to take advantage of the system because I'm pointing it out. But this is a point where people could take advantage and we're putting a lot of trust and faith in people themselves to not be bad actors. And what did we just talk about? I don't think it's a smart idea to bet that people are going to do the best possible thing. It's a smarter idea to bet that people are going to be shitheads and that you should probably put controls in place to, to, to keep them from acting in bad ways, right? Or to encourage them, disincentivize them from acting in those negative ways. I, I guess I'm not, and, and at the same time, you know, I don't know, I agree, like you probably shouldn't have people looking for work actively if they have jobs still, you know, you don't want to put... You don't want to take those workers away from the places that need them still when this thing turns back on. Like, I get it. But we're in this really weird place where we're testing this. I don't know if, whether we intended to or not, but we're testing whether people are going to be bad actors or not. And if they are bad actors, if more people hoard that money or don't use it properly or don't put it back into the economy or double dip, let's say they take this money and then they also take unemployment and they, they don't go back to work until that unemployment money runs completely out. If too many people do that, we bankrupt the system. We cause a hyperinflation problem, right? Like we, 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 we freeze the economy. We do go into a free fall and we do end up at a great depression, I think, right? That's one of the ways to go towards it. So 32% unemployment should be very scary to a lot of people. And that's the projection right now. You know, it's probably around there, I bet. I think that's pretty accurate. Seems about right, considering the last two days I've been driving around the streets. I mean, literally, it's a ghost town. There's a lot of people not at work, you know. This turning this machine back on is going to be a lot. It's a, more, it's a diesel engine, at least. I almost guarantee you the U.S. economy is not going to warm up in five minutes. It's a diesel engine, man. It's going to take some time. <laughs> you're going to have to get those freaking uh, glow plugs like heated up first, and then you're going to have to set let that sucker freaking idle for 15 minutes. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know why I used that. <laughs> anyway, but um, like I said, I think we're. I think that's about all I got today. Um, uh, we're, we got that was another long one, man. This was an what an hour. We got to an hour, guys. I hope these aren't too long for you. I hope I'm not you know pushing it too long, but. Um, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. Uh, like I said, I'll post all of the um, articles that I pulled up and read from uh, in the show notes so that you can look them up yourself uh, and have those to access. 
and uh, I hope that you enjoyed this one. You know, I think the, the moral of this one is uh, kind of, like I said, make sure that you're uncomfortable. Uh, with you're comfortable with being uncomfortable or you at least know how you're going to react when you're uncomfortable because I think uh, this world might get a lot more uncomfortable here and I don't mean to be the person kind of freaking people out I, I kind of want to be the opposite the person that's like kind of bringing people together and and calming people down but I'm also you know I value truth I value honesty I value, value unfiltering your filtering yourself and I think um, there's a lot of things that need to be said right now or at least looked into or at least ideas played with uh, and I hope that um, I hope that maybe you know, looking at some of these from different perspectives, uh, grants us some insight for the world that's going to come to be. You know, and that we are the best prepared to to be good examples of human beings in the future. <laughs> you know, it's the best I got, right? Uh, so, uh, with that, that is going to be the Unfounded Podcast signing off today. Uh, have a good day, be safe, and I will be back at it soon. Bye-bye.